Explain how someone's going to stay in their home if rates keep going up and they're already at their trigger rate. Break down a real life budget of someone making 100K if they bought an average home at $500,000. Thoughts on Fredericton building tiny home communities to provide affordable housing. Is this a good time to go full-time as a realtor? Spring market in Halifax. Time to buy or is it going to go crazy? Is there a place to check what units sold for specifically in Kelowna? Best career in the real estate industry. You got sewer scope guys. Yeah. You got home inspectors. You got builders, developers. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Yeah, so as I was telling you, Chandler, you've converted me to voice to text. Partially. Oh my God. While driving. While driving, while Which, sitting on the can. What are... <laughs> Yeah, voice to text, just chatting away. Voice to text, non <laughs> like, oh, stop. Cannot compute. Oh man, um, we've resorted to bathroom humor the lowest level. What, what is the legality on that though? Is the question. Um, the legality of being of able to voice to text. Voice it's hands free. I've mentally prepared. I don't, you still have to press the button. I'm mentally prepared to get pulled over, and explain to them that like it's hands free, man. Like I'm yeah. not touching my phone. I'm talking to my phone. And how are they, man? How would you get pulled over? You also don't have to push your button if you have an iPhone and. This episode is brought to you by Voice to Text. A cooler car. If you're not Voice to Text, say, hey Siri, send Neil a text. I'm going to be 20 minutes late for the pod today. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's in your auto drafted messages, I think. As I said, that it, hey, Siri, uh, Siri opened up and started <laughs> shooting the message off. That's wild. Yeah, Voice uh, to Text is a game changer, man. Change your texting style, change your life. Save the cheerleader, save the world. I, I do agree, and I think everyone's going to be doing it. Maybe. You like that? I, that was a oh, lot. little heroes reference. I wouldn't get it. The show really unraveled after season one. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Um, What's going on, Sunil? Not too much. Just debating my life as I always am. And as everyone who listens knows, I'm like the world is ending. And I'm still standing by the fact that I think the world might be ending. Um, But today we'll get more into it. Today you're super bullish. You're like, I just want to buy everything and retire. (laughs) I, I said I'm getting all my refis and I would like to put it all into decently well in returning real estate and then Doesn't chill exist. out. I, well, I just want to buy everything with CMHC. I'm not going to kick anybody out. Oh, wow. And I'm just let the rents do their I thing. I cannot wait for to see the edit of this on Reddit oh, yeah. in the future when you kick people out. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't pay your rent and or yeah, you're yeah. destroying the no, unit, of course. No, yes, but- you're going to get kicked the hell out of the unit. But uh, no, at this point, I'm not actively going to be flipping over units once i'm done this next we get four three buildings left the one advantage of your refi taking three years is that you've really built equity in those properties <sighs> while you've been going through these refis because these are the never-ending refis i only closed on them 13 months ago so it's not that long for having to get everybody out and do the work really yeah because i looked at all my enviros all my enviros were january of 2022 oh I, same so here in my head i was like that. man i've had these for like so long and then I was sitting back there and I'm like, January 2022? The hell? And I remember I held up the, the closing on the Enviro. Hmm. So it's not that. And, and my other one uh, that I'm ripping through right now, I, the Enviro was July of 2022. So it's not. Seems like just yesterday you were digging those basements up. <sighs> I didn't think I bought anything last year. Those, those, those basement, the ones that I had to dig the basements on were two years old, but those buildings were already done. Everyone had moved in. Then I had to dig them out and then refill them. So we're refilling them now and we're refining them for a second time because bought them privately, renovated, filled them, refied them, enviroed, ripped them apart again. 
emptied them, refilled them again, oh and now God. we're applying for a new refi because I'm going to CMHE them this time. But the system works. The system works perfectly, and interest and bank fees are just non-existent. But um, if, you, if you make a really good buy, then you don't have to worry about it as much. Yeah, <coughs> uh, only make money Bye. on the buy. Um, um, so this today we're going to do a lot of Q&A stuff today because a lot of really good questions came in. We sent out the call. You guys answered, so appreciate that. As always, like, follow, subscribe, comment down below. A lot of you watch the videos and don't subscribe. We can actually see how that works. So just you're watching the video. Just press like or press the subscribe button. We really appreciate it. And those of you that threw us up, that's also awesome on your social media, your stories. We love seeing the reaction to everyone on Monday when the episode drops. You guys are, are really supporting and, and we appreciate it. We have a role reversal going on. Our shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice shirt. Thanks. It's a little busy, maybe. I'm going to give you credit on the up. glow up. You know, I've gotten some messages being like, Chandler the glow up. Oh Chandler went through a glow up and a couple, someone messaged me and said, I want to know what that guy's on because... <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's good, though. You've been going yeah, yeah. hard with the trainer and everything. Well, you know what? I don't know if he watches this or not, uh, but I have... I mean, I, you've only shouted him out 98 times. If he hasn't mentioned it by now, right, he's probably not listening to your, to your podcast. Um, but I, I've, I've, I'm resting on my laurels a little too much. I flatlined. I need to I need to step it up again. And yeah, really, it shows. What are you doing? Get back on, on the grind. I'm but um, with you. Yeah, you're just going going casual. I've become casual man now. I'm just... Yeah. It's the Enfield. You went out and you just bought all kinds of plaid shirts and loose-fitting denim. It is. For those that aren't from Halifax, I moved 20 minutes outside of Halifax, which in any normal city, shouldn't say normal, in any bigger city, nothing would really change. But in Halifax, moving 20 minutes outside the city, it that is... That is the most generous 20 minutes I've ever heard in my life. I mean, from the boundary of the city, I'm like one minute. That's because you are just outside the city limits. <laughs> but like I am 20, you're you're in two, a different two, municipality. You pay different property taxes than us. Actually, you you're not an authority to speak on that, Halifax property <laughs> tax anymore. But that does also say that people who live in like fucking West Chesicook are still within the city limits. Yeah, and they're they like, are. they're like forty eight minutes. You're forty eight minutes. I'm not forty this yeah. I could run home in 48 minutes. I am 20, no, 23 God. minutes from our office. 23 you don't minutes from even our take office. the stairs here. <laughs> <laughs> this guy going to run home in 48 minutes. I, I am 23 like minutes two minute miles. from our office in Remax, which is right in the middle of things. And I'm about 30 minutes, say 35 on a normal day to downtown. If it's like no traffic, it's 30 minutes. Anyways, where I'm so going with this is... either of those numbers 20? I'm 20 minutes from Burnside. Oh, it's 20 minutes from the industrial park. 24, 23. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Burnside is not the outskirts town. Anyways, Chandler, as I was saying, the world changed dramatically in those 20 minutes. It was 30 minutes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I have now, now I wear plaid. You get your water from a lake. I get my, no, I have my own drilled well, thanks. Now you do. Yeah. I had to. Yeah. But, um, anyways, no, I just wanted to compliment you and you couldn't just take it. You had to come at me. I was just yeah, saying, I nice, you know what? Nice shirt, guys sensitive. on a glow up, and then he just fucking I, I, I went in on me. I do appreciate it. I do appreciate it. It's nice of you to say, and it's nice of you listeners out there to notice too. So, anyways, today, like Chandler said, we're going to do a bunch of QA. We sent out a call. You guys gave us a bunch of questions. We also just get a lot in the DMs, which keep doing. Uh, we try and answer them as best as we can, but I think we're going to try and compile them because the volume is kind of picking up. And so we're going to try and answer them on the pod. Yeah. You had some new stuff you want to talk about today. Man, ooh, where to begin? Where to begin? Yeah. So, I, again, I think our main topic today is going to be Q&A, and, and we're going to just try and really debunk any of the questions. There's some good questions in there, especially regarding where the market's going, how people are going to afford to kind of get through this with inflation, rates, like everything we've kind of talked about before. Um, 
what what people should be doing, what kind of moves should they be selling, refining, uh, what makes sense. So hopefully, one of these questions relates to you, and you can get something from it. Um, but before we get into that, hit me with some news items. I have some stuff I want to talk to you too as well. But okay, I'll let you go first. Well, well let's talk about the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. You following this? SVB. SVB, which sounds like a all-girl R&B group from the '90s. Uh, I'm thinking of SWV, Sisters with Voices. Uh, Who there gets that one? Who you're SWV? At. Come no, on, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. So SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, um, is no more. At least the U.S. arm. I think the U.K. arm got bought up by HSBC. But yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? Did you did you did you follow along? Uh, this you're a big tech guy. You're uh, not in a the big startup guy. world. I'm not a big tech guy. I'm not in the startup world. But you, um, you I do follow it a bit. In that world, yeah. I am interested in that stuff. Um, but I looked into it a little bit. Um, the biggest thing, like takeaway for me, was um, well, I saw a funny thing on Kramer. Jim Kramer made comments about how it's a good bank to look at, like maybe two weeks ago, and Ooh. then sure enough, it just collapsed immediately. And so now he's reannouncing. <clears throat> yeah, and he has that hits that button. But no, I think it kind of like for me, I wasn't really focused on SVB, but it's the concept of what took place, and and when everyone withdraws their money, these banks don't have any opportunity to actually. Like they don't have the money to give out. Yep. And then they start selling their assets and their investments at a loss to try and pay everybody out. And then it, it starts kind of this, this uh, domino effect where it starts knocking out other banks because a lot of banks have their money tied up, big swaths of it with other banks. And so when they have to pull from them, then the other bank has to pay out. And you get this domino effect going on. But the government stepped in really quickly to cover all of the lost deposits because right now, like the rule in the States is that an insured bank the government covers up to $250,000 of your deposit. Yep. Obviously, lots of people had more than that in that bank, especially it being Silicon Valley. I'm sure there's lots of people, a good, almost maybe not majority, but a large percentage would have over 250 grand in there. Oh, yeah. There's some, one of their clients, big clients was like Roblox. Yeah. So and the other one was like Hulu. Yeah, exactly. Pretty big reserve. Now, those companies would have started with them because, so for... for but what I was going to say before, sorry, sorry. it was that the bank, uh, the government has now stepped in to say, we're going to cover anything over $250,000. And I think that's to try and stop the pandemonium and the panic and mm -hmm. nip it in the butt right before it can blow over and be this crazy thing of like all these stories are like, I had $2 million, which is my life savings in this bank. And now I lost it all. I got 250 grand back. And so they're cutting it there and trying to stop it. But I think it is pretty telltale. And, and it's almost to be expected where Silicon Valley, it's like the most propped up companies and everything there is super propped up and it's like this amazing thing when things are going great they're doing 10x great like they're just the best but on the flip side when things start going bad they'll also do 10x the bad and mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is like the prime example and they're likely gonna be the first to go but isn't an indicator of what's to come and that seems to be the sentiment in the market hence why bond markets are falling uh and it's getting a bunch of news but i think at the same time it's getting a bunch of news but it's also not getting a bunch of news and i feel like they're kind of like this is where like the larger forces are at play trying to keep this like quiet as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's not a good omen. Um, it's funny because we've been doing this podcast now for a couple of years and we can recall how bullish the tech industry was and all of these startups were bringing in so much cash, so much cash. There was no shortage of people looking to invest in these startups. And then we also started to see as the economy slowed and people got a little more fearful there was a bit of pullback on that money and there were hiring freezes and even some layoffs in, in the tech sector. This is people have kind of asked me already, how did this happen or, or what happened? And it's 
sort of really complicated, but also quite simple. Remember, when you put your money into the bank, the way it works is they give you a very small amount of interest on the money you deposit in order to take your money and lend it out at higher interest to make mm. money off of it. Mm -hmm. And the fractional reserve banking model means they actually only need to keep a tiny bit of the total deposit and the rest they're free to lend out because what are the odds that everyone's going to come back and want their money all at once? Mm -hmm. So what happened during the peak of the economy, they were bringing in deposits. Obviously, a lot of companies were making a lot of money and they're bringing their money to the bank. They're bringing their money to the bank. And the bank, if it's just holding on to that money, it's doing them no good, especially as inflation happens. Like they're losing money on that money. So they've got to go out and try to lend it. The problem was they're a smaller bank. They're almost like an alternative bank. And the banking system in the U.S. is a little bit different. They're all these smaller, relatively smaller, less regulated. They're 16 in the USA. Compared to we have five here, right? Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, you know, when the economy was coming along and money was cheap, all of their normal clientele that they would normally lend to could go to any bank in North America and get loans. Mm -hmm. And chances are they would maybe go to one of the top five big banks instead of going to the 16th bank. So Silicon Valley Bank had this problem where they could not lend out enough money. There weren't enough takers for their money. So what they decided to do is they're like, well, we'll buy some bonds. And as you guys know, when you buy a bond, you kind of lock in the yield and they were buying bonds at a time where bonds were returning super low returns, mm -hmm. but they didn't think it was a concern because interest rates were low, and they assumed that as interest rates went up, it would probably happen at a slow pace. However, as you know, the Fed jacked the interest rates through the roof, and so the expected return on bonds that people wanted went up and up and up, and all of a sudden they were stuck with these bonds. Just hypothetically, say you had a bond to sell, and it was returning you know, 2% interest and the market out there for bonds wanted 5% interest, all of a sudden your bonds aren't worth crap, right? And they had this concern of, all right, we've lost money on these. We need to cut our losses on those. So they dumped a bunch of them and it, they lost something like 2 billion bucks. Mm -hmm, and when you go out there and lose $2 billion as, uh, as a bank, people start to get a little bit nervous and people started to withdraw their funds from the bank simultaneously, a lot of the higher up people at the firm, like the CEO, all these executives, they started liquidating their shares of the bank. And it doesn't take long for that word to spread. And everyone went in at once, said, I want my money back. And like, we do not have it because we only keep 10% on hold. And that's how that situation escalated. So, you know, we talk about the bond stuff here a lot and it's pretty boring, but this is how it actually starts to matter in, in the real world. And it's hard to say what the trickle down will be of this. It's it's all about consumer confidence, right? I, I think it's sketchy because even though they're sixteenth in the states, they're probably still comparable to close to like our big five here. No, no, our big five are massive. Our big five are international. We're not big five, bigger, but they'd yeah. be close to like a first nat. Oh, they're probably bigger than a first nat, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not small by any stretch. I'm just saying, you know, they got squeezed out in the sense that they operate in a space where they have, you know, kind of alternative clients that one day when they hit it big, they kind of move on from them. They kind of go to more conventional um, lenders. And so they couldn't lend out their money as much as they wanted to get any returns. And so they got hosed on a basically a squeeze of their bond holdings. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I said, it, it, it's just for me, the only really big concern is what it shows what's coming down the pipe. And it's sketchy because a lot of banks are invested in other banks. Yeah. Um, as you said, it's the same situation where they need to get the money out. And so sometimes they'll just put them into more low 
returning items, which are investing in other banks and bonds. And everyone's taking this hit right now where those bonds are yielding way more. So the bonds that they carry are worth way less. Yeah. And as interest rates and inflation goes up, you expect your bank, like the money that you put into the bank to, to go up as well. And so this was the issue. Everyone that was putting money in was like, hey, we want whatever return on the money we put in with your bank. Mm-hmm. And they had gone out and bought investments at a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So they cannot give you, the consumer, an interest rate of 2% return on your money if they've bought a bunch of things at 1.5%. They're literally losing money per time. So that's why they had to liquidate. And it, it didn't work. I don't know if there was a strategy whereby it could have been better done. Whatever method they they... Uh, decided on it wasn't received well by the public. And maybe this was simultaneous with a shift away from Silicon Valley with some of these technology companies, the companies themselves sort of feeling a little bit less confident uh, and looking at their cash holding positions, all this stuff, perfect storm, whatever you want to call it. Um, Yeah. I I think it's, yeah. The one thing I just want to correct is that I think they have to sell because their asset book loses value, but it's, it's, that's the, it's like if you owned real estate, to put it, make it a little more simple because I think it can be kind of confusing is if you bought a bunch of real estate and you're returning 5% and it's worth a million dollars because it returns 5%, when that return starts to dwindle or there's a bigger, better options out there, people are going to be less incentivized to pay for it. It's the same as it's, it's the idea with class A, B, and C stock where there's better product available for people to buy. So the old stock technically actually returns, starts to return more to, to meet the new market but it becomes worth a lot less if it's still trading at that same rate. And so the they become so their asset value goes down. And so on the books, they're they're not necessarily losing cash flow, but they're they're losing like value. Like as a bank, their asset is going down. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it the bigger bigger thing is is that this is something that's gonna happen to all of the banks. They're all gonna be in this position. And um it is a little sketchy because they are a big bank, like two hundred billion dollars in assets. Like that is very large mm-hmm. um, and they're 16th and this is the second largest bank collapse ever happened outside of 2008 obviously um, so I don't know I don't know if it's signs for things to come I think it is and that's kind of what I've been screaming about is I think there's a lot more that comes from this the other thing that happens during these is when that happens they need to liquidate and they need to pay everybody out they have to start calling on their assets so when what that means is if they have loans and money out they need to pull that back in so they can pay people back right right and so like if you have a loan from one of these banks they might say hey we have to close that line of credit and so if you're utilizing that, they're going to call on you to pay that back. Um, and this is what I've always said is I'm always afraid that a bank might right now that they're lending out a ton and then say, you know what, we need to call these loans on your properties or we won't do a refi or we won't do a renewal. Mm-hmm. There's like the double-edged sword of renewals coming up right now and people are like, oh, like it's sh- shit, I have to go from 2% to 6%. And I'm like, you might have to go from 2% to 6% and then also pay in 20% of the property value or potentially switch banks altogether and still have to pay in 20% to just keep this friggin' loan. Well, so let's look a little bit on the flip side. Part of what has happened as well in this last little bit, and this is going to contribute to it as well, the concerns about the overall economy have actually kept some of the pressure off of the Fed for raising rates again. So the inflation numbers came out as well in the States. They're not great. I mean, they're still trending in the right direction. Like us, they're eight months or so down. I think they went down. Yeah, the inflation's at 6% in the US, which is down from 6.4%, but the core inflation is barely moved. Still, that's headed in the right direction. And the Fed was talking a lot about this idea of increasing rates more. So that modest decline in inflation combined with 
man, a bank just collapsed. Like, I think people are feeling the squeeze now. I think these rate hikes are squeezing mm-hmm. stuff. Um, things are starting to rattle loose. Maybe that'll keep the Fed from raising rates. Um, because again, they, they were talking a lot like that they were going to raise the rates. And interestingly, Canada's bond yield dropped significantly, which means all of our five-year rates are going down. And we've got this weird, crazy thing that if the economy goes to crap, the rates usually would drop. And when the rates usually drop, it pumps real estate up. It pumps real estate up. Like it's Canadian, this weird. Which the Canadian economy is heavily relied on, which like, oh, is that going to work out really well? It's uh, just this give and forth, this back. Like, and listen to this one, man. So this, like, well, then what's going to happen? You've got these opposing forces. What's going to happen? I saw this study. And, then and the, on the flip side, the states, everything's become, because we're not raising our rates at the same pace as the states, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but it's going to create, we did talk about this last time, it's going to create the same problem because we buy everything from the states. Yeah. Their currency is going to be worth more than ours. It's, anyways, what were we going to say? Sorry. Well, this is such a people mess. are trying to like such predict what's going on. Listen to this range. So RBC is the most optimistic. They expect prices to rise this year in oh, Canada. Home prices, 2.6%. Yeah, I saw this. But the other major banks, yeah, BC, Scotia, BMO, all expect prices to fall with BMO have the most bearish outlook calling for a 14% drop by next year. So one bank thinks the market's going to go up by 2.6%. Another bank thinks it's going to go down by 14%. Who's got more money in the market? I think BMO does. Well, BMO's the one calling for a 14% drop. I feel like they BMO, have RBC more in real estate. Big too. In real mm. estate, though. Certainly they do here, but I think they, I were, know, they were pretty heavily leveraged here, I think disproportionately compared to less, the rest of the country. But like that is a pretty big margin of error, 16% swing between Nobody two different... Nobody knows what the fuck's going on. That's where we're at. Not one, like everyone has a different tale, man. And the same people have a different tale two weeks apart. Yeah. What I can say is I've had the same tale for last year that it's all going to shit. (laughs) That's true. And you've been not, you haven't been right. Ah, What do you mean? Prices are down. Markets, shit's so much more expensive. You can't make any money on a burr. Things are more expensive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Tell me this. We're still just pumping along because we're way up on like what it was two years ago. But like realistically, if you're trying to buy a now and make money, like how many properties have you sold in the last couple months where you're like, this person's going to make a fortune in six months in this place? Yeah. That's true. You can't bank on that. The last two years, you'd be like, you'd sell it to them, be like, you just made a hundred grand on closing because we took two weeks to close and the prices went up another hundred G. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. So on the same note, uh, I thought I would discuss with you this company that I came across today. It's called Manor Lead. Don't mind me with the little sniffling. I'm a little, little, I'm still in recovery mode from a little bit of a sickness. Um, it's called Manor Lead and they claim to be using AI stuff from chat GPT and different AI models to buying, to make buying, selling and reassigning real estate much easier as well as managing the values of your portfolios. Now they're based in Toronto and they're based in this hundred percent. It seems like around new con condos. And okay. So the idea would be you're going to utilize their, their platform to input your condo. So you could say, I just, I put a condo under contract. It's going to be built in three years. It's a one bedroom for 500,000 bucks. Here's all the details on it. I, I stick it in. It's then going to monitor where the price is. So every day I'll give you an update based on what all the new cons selling for per square foot in the city. It's also going to give you projections based on what's going on in the news, interest rates, other sales and all that. So you can help project where you're going to sell. Some of you guys may know about the um, program called Hopper that uses, does this for flights. Okay. So basically it, it follows flight trends and booking timelines 
and it says, okay, when you're going flying, you say six months from now, and it says, okay, in two months is the best time to book this flight, not actually today, because everybody books during these two weeks because it's spring break and everyone mm-hmm. wants to talk about their next trip. But then during the first two weeks of April, it's tax season and they all just got their tax bills so they can't sell a flight to save their life. Same concept with this. And basically it's going to use... Everyone throws AI out there, which is why I was kind of wanting to bring it up. I'm like, really? What what AI stuff? It's not like it's going to be self-learning. It's it's going to be using math and data scrubbing to to do it. But anyways, they they say that. The interesting one was is they like openly talk about assignment on there. And and it's I feel like assignment's always been kind of like this dirty underworld in some sense. Even though it goes on a lot in Toronto and it's very normal and people are okay to buy assigned projects. Um, I don't know if there's as many like platforms for it. And so they're going to make this a platform where you can trade your your assignments as well without Ooh, with less fees. Um, so anyways, they have it broken out into a bunch of different sections here. They have it called, uh, one sec, let me bring it up. It's only a matter of time before then you can buy fractional shares in these like, you know, kind of like the the joint investing in the artwork that we're talking That's about. That's the next thing. Don't Is worry, it? I got you. Okay, I love it. So they have mannerly.com. So it's a real estate, real estate platform that connects buyers, sellers, and real estate professionals in one convenient place. It also includes a host of advanced features that set it apart from the competition. There's a lot of this where they don't spe- specify. There's Manor Assign. It's the first real estate, first real-time assignment platform with global outreach. So I think they're trying to have a live space where you can play with assignments. And part of me, it's like stocks. I and mean, I'm like, totally I wonder if it's going to get yeah. to that point where there's so many flying along that it's going to get to the point where like the margin is going to get squeezed down. It's like when they used to trade stocks, paper stocks, like you'd get people who had them for 20 bucks and someone had them for 25 bucks and there was guys making the money in the Mm -hmm. middle. And then it got to computers trading it where it went down to like a dollar in the middle. And then the computers traded it down to like one cent because it was just real time. There's constantly these micro trades going on. Uh, and so this is what they're trying to get into with this via condo trading, which I thought was insane. Man, there's going to be some people get left held in the bag on that. Some people left held in the bag. There's going to be some people who make a friggin' fortune off of yeah. this. Um, imagine you're there like some kid is in his underwear in his room at night and like, uh-oh, I'm stuck with four condos. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, mom? <laughs> Manor Portfolio is a the world's first AI real estate asset manager to track pre-con properties and eliminate financial uncertainty. So this is what I saw came out where they're supposed to, you put in your pre-con property and they're supposed to estimate up and down where the valuation is mm-hmm. on that. So you know at any point in time what that pre-con's worth. Uh, and then Manor Home is the ultimate tool for homeowners offering real-time Manor AI home price predictions and many new features helping owners, uh, helping homeowners coming soon. So that's the same concept. They want to take that same model and put it into homes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like everyone's trying to come up with using technology to come up with a, a price prediction tool. And I just don't think it's ever going to be possible because there's so many intrinsic like things that you just cannot predict. Like you cannot predict that there's a guy who needs a two bedroom condo and has X a certain budget and just needs to be on the street corner. Yeah. I mean, they can ask the people at Zestimate how well that worked out, but I do think there's a bit of science with the new construction stuff. The, the resale is always yeah. going to be hard, but, but the new construction, the assignment, if you build in a bit of cushion, I think you could probably get a, a decent accuracy. And and these, these by nature, they're speculative, right? So you're offering someone a potential opportunity. There's no guarantees. Like, it's not on the open market. It's like, not even complete. So there's a speculative nature to it. But I think price per square foot with construction costs, you can start tying those in pretty easily. Here's my thing is I love the idea. But if in the world of stocks that's been around forever and has traded in massive volumes and massive dollar amounts, they still don't really have proper prediction tools. 
all these big trillion dollar banks and hedge funds have not come up with a genuine prediction tool that actually has any sort of real accuracy. How in the world are we going to do this with something like real estate? I think the real estate market's simpler than you maybe give it credit for. Like it is simple. Do people want to buy that unit? How much is it worth? People buy it. It's a little, it's a little more tangible. But we can't predict that SVB is going to go down and then bonds are going to drop and now there's yeah, so many yeah. rates out there that are cheap and that's going to force a little blip in the sales. Yeah. Or we can't predict that COVID is going to hit and immigration is going to come off a cliff. Yeah, those are pretty extreme scenarios, but yeah. Or like mean. literally, like Trudeau could go up there and be like, okay, we're cutting immigration targets next week. Well, the big thing with that pl- platform is when they crack down on assignments and reassignments, then they got a problem on their hands. Yeah. Because Sierra's going to be like, yo, we need all the, all the contact info for everybody that was <laughs> signed up on man or assign. Well, it just seems like that's next, right? If you look at you know, clamping down on people who are burring and, and flipping, clamping down on people who are running short-term rentals. I know that there's been a lot of talk about assignments and taxes on assignments and all that good stuff. Um, I want to change lanes just really quickly to throw some figures out at you. Okay. Um, inventory down across the country, Montreal down 32% year over year, Vancouver down 40%, Calgary also down 40%. So that means there's, you know, a third to almost half as many homes uh, as there were this time last year. And we remember how well, psycho last year was. Hold the, hold the phone. You hold the phone? Yes. Calgary is going to go down because the market is, very, is doing very well there. They're having a positive influx of people again. Uh, oil market's doing well. So that's that makes sense. That's why the supply of listings is down. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Montreal's market, I don't know as well, um, but they've always had a very affordable market. And I think probably through this year, a lot of people decide to move there. Like, I like I love Montreal a lot. Like it, it's a great city and it's still super affordable. Uh, so I can see there being a big draw there for people to to go there. Um, Vancouver, probably because people are hemorrhaging money. They're like, I can't sell right now. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's what we're going to see across the board everywhere. And I think we already are seeing that. We've talked about that where a bunch of people just don't need to sell or have equity in their homes or, or locked in at a rate for the next three years or four years. And just don't need to sell. This is the same in the states. In the states, ninety nine percent of people, ninety nine percent of mortgages are at a lower rate than today's posted mortgage rate, which means those people are really disincentivized to sell their property because if they have yeah. to buy another one, they have to jump in at this new higher rate. Um, and their mortgage payment right now is chill enough that they can afford it. Like it's not only the newer higher rate, but this all. I I went to go buy a car the other day, the other day, and the car was worth less than the car that I own now, but my payment was going to go up seventy percent, and I'm like. Hold on, yeah. I'm going to be going into a less valuable vehicle and paying way more to be in this? Screw it, I'll just keep my expensive vehicle. Yeah, that's the situation that my I wife th- and I are in as well. I'm like, man, we're not even going to renew her financing or her lease, whatever it is. Like, man, we're just paying it out. This is Because the- we would have to pay more for the old, the same car. The yeah. same car, only older, is what we'd be paying more for. Yeah, but and so people are in that same boat with their homes. Yeah, and 100%. so they're, just, they're not going to sell. And on the rental side, it's like, well, our rental market's doing insanely well. So if I locked in at any reasonable rate before, I can rent it and make money on this. So it it totally makes sense. Um, It goes back to the same sketchiness, but I also uh, saw some stats that at least in Nova Scotia, our immigration is pegged to go down. So we had our biggest year last year. We're supposed to have a lower immigration year this year, lower following next year, and within four years be down to, I think, 5,000. We had 22,000 people last year immigrate to Nova Scotia. Within four years, they're supposed to be down to 5,000 people. Why? Which, um, it didn't... I mean, part of it was because there was a big glut backlog of... Uh, I think there was a big glut backlog. Um, 
and I, I didn't, it didn't cite why. This was just like a, I forget what company it was, some stats company, and they had a slideshow, hmm. and it was on the slide, and I was like, oh, shit. And there's also the idea of like, it showed still a, a big migration within Canadian provinces to the Atlantic uh, provinces. I but know what it was. Yeah. But on the flip side, I talked to two or three people today, and I'm like, every agent in our office knows somebody that they sold a house to in Atlantic Canada that was not from Atlantic Canada, that they're now reselling that same house so that they can move back to Ontario or move back to Alberta. And they have the same stories. Like, damn, man, it's expensive to live here. They're like, I'm not saving any money. Yeah. And I gave up the lifestyle that I had come to like and all my friends and or potentially my family. Yeah. And more often than not, a higher paying job. Yeah. So I'm well, probably going to bounce. Or even if they got a higher paying job to come out here, then they found that after tax, it was a lower paying job and now their employer wants them back and is willing to pay them higher. So you're getting the best of both worlds. You're going back, you're getting more money and you have a better after tax uh, income. So my long winded answer to respond to what do I think of the lower inventory numbers? It doesn't surprise me at all, but I don't know that it's indicative of the fact that the market's just going to continue to be really hot. I think we're going to be in this place where we're riding more along like a flatline wave. I think we've already shaved a lot of the of the price shavings that we needed to do. Um, and again, I, I don't think we're going to dip a ton more because inventory is so friggin' low and people still need homes. There's just people who are moving here that need a house or um, need to upsize or down. Like there's just reasons people need houses. There's a baseline volume that has to transact. Uh, and I think that'll keep it kind of flat, but I also don't think it's going to run away because we're seeing here now like places get 10, 15 offers they go over, but they're not, they're not blowing it out of the water. Yeah. I, I've got this. So what's good about this number is obviously that it's, it's providing a foundation, some support for pricing, right? Yeah. It's, it's providing support for the pricing, which is probably good, regardless if what you think about excessive pricing, whatever, whatever, it's, it's good that the market doesn't completely collapse. That would just be ruinous to too many people. Yeah. Um, so it's good that the pricing is finding support. Yeah. What's curious is we're talking double digits, like significant, significant less inventory this year than last year, which was in turn significantly less inventory than the year before that. And so on and so on. Yeah. Like these are historic lows in terms of the number of homes for sale. Yep. And to your point, prices aren't going crazy. No. People just can't even afford to make them crazy. But it sort of makes you wonder, well, what would happen if we had a normal supply of houses? You'd have to think the market would go to shit. This is what I'm saying. You'd have to think the this market would go down. Like, so, the, the, but this leads to the next question, which is like, well, shouldn't we then be incentivizing people to sell, not discouraging them to sell? Because what we've done, and we're going to continue to try to do this. Who's we? We levels of government, right? Have, have in a lot of ways, but they don't want the market to tank because everyone's net worth is tied up in there, and totally, like. 35, 40% of the GDP is on real estate. So if real estate goes down to shitter, no one's going to be building new real estate and everyone's going to have lost a bunch of money in their real estate too. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the, some of these things that they're, oh, I don't know. I don't even want to put this out to the universe, but all these thoughts about how primary residences are going to be commercially taxed. Soon. They can't. No or, or, not, or, or, or be subject to tax on sale. I guess they could. I could, I could literally see a mass. Uh, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not going to say it either. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I, <laughs> I think is I want to I want to phase into the Q and A because we're going to end up saying okay, a lot of the okay. same stuff in the Q and A. Um, I think I might have one more thing I wanted to fire at you. Okay, oh. fire that. I mean, let's go in the Q and A because there's a lot of good questions that people asked about this kind of stuff, and I think it'd be interesting to answer them directly. I just thought this was kind of funny, but not, and also super sad. But 
Okay. Uh, first time home buyer in uh, Ontario agreed to pay $1.96 million uh, for house plus $90,000 in upgrades. Uh, it was a single family detached home. It first house, time home buyer? Yep. It would house himself, his wife, two children, and his mother. Um, he said, quote, we thought if we live hand to mouth, we can still afford it, he said. Uh, and he is an Uber driver who also earns income as a property manager and from a business in India. Uh, but with his closing date approaching, because this is obviously new construction, the new appraisal says it's worth 1.7, which is 300000 less than he agreed to it, because he not like he's like, oh, we got to really be careful. We're going to live hand to mouth. And then he does $90,000 worth of upgrades. <laughs> he was pre-qualified for a mortgage that would, was between 5500 and 6000 And now he's being quoted between twelve and 15000 because he has to go with some sort of private financing. Um, and he has to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars to cover the difference. Thoughts on that story? I think this is a funny, sad moment. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. So the funny moment for me right off the hop is first time home buyer buying a $2 million house. And it's no offense to Uber drivers by like, it's it just, it doesn't like even a really good, like $15,000 clear, even before $7,000 a month cleared after everything. Like that seems insane. After you pay all your bills and all that, it's, Anyways, um, seems seems kind of wild to me. Yeah, I mean, I we all know that Toronto's expensive, but you didn't have to buy the two million dollar home. There are other options. Yes, I think so. In that that front, I get that. the The tough part is, and what is sad, where you're going to see people who genuinely are just buying a normal sized house uh, for a half million or million bucks, and then facing the same trouble, is it's funny how like when we were all closing on the house. And by closing day, we were up three, four hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. It's all good in the hood. Yeah. Now being down. And now we're being down. And we're like, these builders are crooks. They never said it in there, but that's how a lot of people are handling. Because uh, I'm getting that. I've had people who are just like, not these builders. Oh, people but are saying people are saying that. You're, not, like, you're they, not saying that. I'm not saying okay. that. But people are being like, these builders are crooks. They won't let me out of this contract. Like, like I can't close. And the builder's like, Yeah, well, I get your deposit when you can't close. And like, you're a crook. And it's like, no, like. You signed well, the contract. You signed yeah. the contract and you were expecting that you were going to make a bunch of money on this. Yeah. You rolled the dice and it didn't come up in your favor. And now you're like trying to pin this on me. The only thing I will say to flip that on its head okay. is when things are going the opposite direction. Yes. I know a lot of builders who backed out of deals. They did. And I think like it was a local thing. And or. I like was a local oh, thing. I guarantee you that was happening across Ontario. North actually true. It's, yeah, it's um, or they were coming and saying, listen, we can still build your home but it's going to cost you $60,000 more. That was going on. I did. So I had fairness, a client who held out for a year and she ended up getting it for not a dime over the actual price. But it held out. The builder held out, wouldn't build it. It closed a year, over a year late. But, but they, she got her original price? Yes. Good for her. Yeah. And Good then her me. neighbor sold for like 200 grand more than she paid. <laughs> Good for her. Good <laughs> like for her. Nice. Um, and I'm sure like, and then every builder started putting these clauses in to protect them against that instance. So it's effectively like we can change the price to some degree. Um, so but, that would be my only argument that like, man, maybe hook these people back up, especially where the cost part. of constructions come down a bit. Yeah. I think this is one of those situations where like you guys got to work together to yeah. get the property sold to somebody yep. else. The builder's like, okay, I'm into it for oh, a million. Sold to someone else. I was going to uh, say like, maybe there's a common ground there to be found. A vendor take back or something like that yeah. maybe, or some sort yeah. of common ground. But I don't know that he's going to be able to float a double payment. Like he went from being like, oh, I think I think I can make six, seven grand work. You don't just, oh, I think I can make twelve, fifteen thousand dollars work like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big what? bump. It's this one thing to go from six to eight. Gonna, Two million dollars, man. Chill a little bit. That yeah. is insane. That is a little aggressive. Um, 
But yeah, so that's... Big down payment, though. Again, big down payment. my bigger takeaway from that is we're going to see a lot of that happening. I think we've already seen a lot of it. Like, I think I've we've already seen a lot. 15 times. Yeah. But rates are going to go up again and it's going to get worse and worse and worse until finally there's a bullet over Why do you think rates are going to go up again? I think rates are going to go up again because of what I talked about last time where it's like the if the U.S. market's having to raise rates and any effort to try and protect ourselves, we have to raise rates. Yeah, we have to raise our overnight rate but not our fixed rates necessarily. No. Fixed rates... Came down again. Long long term fixed okay. rates will be will be affordable. And that's what I think they're going to try and force people to do. And that's what they want. Because then there's some stability in the market. It's like, okay, we have everybody locked in at four and a half percent for five years. Everyone can weather that storm. That's what we want. Yeah. And people are going to be cautious because they understand now it's expensive to spend. Mm-hmm. And they've turned their, like that's what they want. That would be best case scenario. But for all the people that just refuse, like if there people are refusing to just like bite into it, like let's keep this thing pumping. They're going to be like, well, we have to keep, we have to shut these people off at some point. Yeah. Um, the frustrating thing is, of course, even though the bond rate comes down, the fixed rates don't come down nearly as quickly. And in fact, this herky jerk up and down makes the banks say, well, we're not going to bring them down just yet because we see a lot of herky jerk up here. We might bring them down and then all of a sudden they're back up again. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to ride it out for a little bit, which is one of the many reasons that, uh, you know, greed being another, that the banks don't give you the discount as quickly as they pass along the charge. Yeah, they need they need to rein in the, the the money supply, and that's what's going on. But hey, thanks so much for listening to this point. We got more great content. We're going to answer some of your questions. You guys have been reaching out. We really appreciate it. As always, like, follow, subscribe. Throw your questions down there. We're going to get to them. Hopefully, get some insight out of this. We cover some cool topics. We want to transition to the Q and A before we do, do that. We'll see our key player of the week. Oh yeah, and it kind of relates to something that you said earlier. But it is the founder of a company called Buy Properly. And what Buy Properly does is it allows Canadians to invest inside of a property deal for as little as $2,500. So they break it into shares, similar to some other projects we've talked about on here before. And you can buy in those shares, $2,500, so everybody can get on the property ladder. Yep. The lady, the founder, is Kushba Jha. She has been working in tech for many years. She worked at Amazon, um, Dutch Bank, Accenture, and she also has an MBA from the University of Pennsylvania and a bachelor's degree in architecture from India. She has now been working on buy properly for three years and it's growing quite a bit. They have a large team and they're starting this opportunity where it's, you can invest in property for 2,500 bucks um, and get the gains. Cause a lot of people I understand trying to get on the property ladder is very, very difficult. And so they try and make this more attainable in the States. There's a lot of platforms to do this, but Canada has been a very underserved market, especially for a place that is so heavily, heavily reliant on real estate. Like our, again, our GDP is made up a big portion of our GDP is made up with real estate construction trading, like all, all the money and supply moves on there. So uh, I think it's a super cool product. It's exciting to see people in Canada doing this. It's also super exciting to see a female doing it because again, I think real estate, especially in the tech world has been dominated by males. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, no, that's awesome. Key player of the week. Check it out. We'll probably put a link in there for people. To, yeah. To Buyproperly.ca. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, now let's move into our Q and A. Before we do, don't forget to nominate people, right? We had, we had a nomination the other day. It was awesome. Yep. Uh, if you know a key player, we want to recommend someone, we'd love to highlight them, maybe even have them on as a guest. So please uh, shout them out. You can send it to us directly, uh, or you can put it right there in the comments. We'd also love to hear your thoughts and your predictions for the market. We've thrown some ideas, and we've said the range. Like, what do you think? Is this all going to come crumbling down? Like, which bank is right there? Market's going to be up 2.5% this year, or down 14 Somewhere yeah, in the middle. Chime um, in. So I'm going <laughs> to... I'm laughing because one of the, there's one of my buddies just sent in a bunch oh of them, God. and him and I have these. Are we share the same negative sentiment about everything, and so we have our powwows on the phone and talk about how messed up the world is. That's how he keeps me in line. I I, I do this with you, and you 
you're very optimistic and I like it, but I leave and I have to call him to bring me back down to my negative level of I don't know that I'm necessarily concern. optimistic per se, but you're, you're I think you're, you're more positive than I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um anyways, I'll shout him out. Mitch Ham, uh he he works at CBC. We actually started this podcast together originally, but he was oh, yeah, shut yeah, down yeah, yeah. by CIBC. So now, now we're here. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, bro. Yeah. <laughs> His, man, reading these, he sent in a bunch, but he said, explain how someone's going to stay in their home if rates keep going up and they're already at their trigger rate. And he says it's from a place of under, like seeing many people's mortgages. And he, he has expressed the fact that there are a lot of mortgages that are at their trigger rate. And if we, we've talked about oh, this yeah. before. But it gets to a point where, so you have a mortgage. It's a thousand dollars principal, a thousand dollars interest. No, it's not. But yeah, that's a dream. A thousand dollar interest, maybe six hundred bucks principal. Well, when the rates were low, when the rates were low, when yeah, we, when we were sub three yeah. percent, you yeah. were you were paying more principal than interest. Okay. Yep. So your your mortgage a year ago was a thousand and a thousand, and then as the interest rate went up, you would sign into a fixed payment of two grand. As the interest rate went up, to make up for that, what they did is they shaved down your principal payment. So now you're paying $800 principal and $1,200 interest. But your monthly of two grand stayed the same. Unless you're on a lender that had a floating payment as well, but yeah. Exactly. So these are just for the fixed payments. Then it got to the point where now the interest rate's gone up so much, it went from being 1000 and 1000 to it being just purely $2,000 of interest <laughs> and no principal being paid down. That's your trigger rate. You've now hit There's that point. There's a lot point. of people who I guarantee are at that and don't even know they're at that, but... Exactly. And it, so he's sitting back there doing the mortgages and he's like, literally everybody on these fixed payments are, are at their trigger rates. Yeah. And so now it's getting to the... So now the banks, you're not paying any principal on this property. And you're so in case just, you're over, so they're you're asking you just to increase. barely yeah. servicing your debt by keeping the interest rates. And now Minimum people... payment, are, baby. Literally. And now people are going to the point where it's going to be... They have to increase their payments. Mm-hmm. And his question is, how how does someone stay in their home if they are not going to be able to keep up with those? Well, I mean, a lot of people aren't on variable products. We can't ignore that. Like most people, still, most people in the market are on fixed products. Yeah. Um, not That's not the case for the last couple of years. But yeah. most people are on, on fixed products. The people who are, ironically, the people who are were on a fixed payment product and have now reach their trigger rate are probably still better off than the people who are on floating true floating payments, right? Those people have gone up, you know, probably more than even what the new post trigger rate would be. So if those people could stomach it and they have been stomaching it for now, 12 months increases every month. I'm sure these people that were on a fixed payment now getting a little bump are going to be able to stomach it just as well as their peers who have been stomaching it literally for 12 months. The other thing is how are people going to stomach it? Uh, Because there's a little bump on that. There's a little bump on their groceries. A little bump on their power. A little bump on their insurance. A little bump on their taxes. Well, that each individual person is going to be able to stomach it for a different amount of time. Like we saw, we talked about this in a previous episode that, um, you know, delinquencies are increasing in every consumer debt category pretty much. So people are neglecting their other bills in the same way that they're going to neglect their grocery spend, they're going to neglect and the quality of the food that they buy, they're going to neglect, they're going to neglect everything before they neglect the mortgage payment. But at some point, yeah, there is going to be a breaking point, which is why everyone's hoping the damn rates don't go up anymore. So one of the comments on here is break down a real life budget of someone making 100k if they bought an average home at $500,000. Was this him? We should do this. Was him as well? Can we get a piece of paper? 
please. Um, and a pen. I'm going to write, read out the numbers too, and you're going to write them down. And we're going to see okay. what the Is this 100 grand after No, I think 100,000 100, salary pre tax. Okay. And before we go, while they get the pen and paper, we're going to go to the second next man. I'm going to read this whole to you. Well, this is a great little digression here. Um, I wonder if I still have it here. Um, Boom. Thank you. I was trying to find this great breakdown. Uh, Global put it out and was the like average income you needed or the income you needed to buy an average price home. Oh, yeah. Um, We we talked about that before. Remember, RBC had the whole list and it was like 270 for Vancouver. 230 for Toronto. Even Halifax was like... Halifax was like a hundred and some odd thousand yeah. um, in order to... Calgary was the only one that made sense. It was like 126. And I'm like, you probably actually make that in Calgary. Yeah. So, I mean, the first question would be that someone with a household income of $100,000 probably shouldn't have bought a $500,000 home. So, that would well, be but, one but, li- little thing. But no, but they were. They were they doing were it. They were because so. they were getting approved at okay, the time. All right. So, all right. this $100,000 uh, before tax... 100K before tax. Okay. One sec. I'm doing my income tax calculator. This is really riveting stuff for all the people listening at home. The people want to know what it works out to be. Um, employment income. You ready? Yep. Oh, not a million. 100,000. Total tax. $31,856. Okay, After nice. tax income, 68144 Okay. So now he probably wants us to break that down month to month. So what are you going to spend on food? Let's do that one while I get the mortgage payment. Oh, my God. What do you spend on food? Not you. Just for household? You wouldn't tell us, even though we all we all want to see. Is this the household? Yeah, for let's say for one person. For one person? Yeah. On food, food and drink? Oh, man. 800 bucks a month? Okay, put put in the budget. Eight hundred bucks a month. Man, I, you're putting me on the spot. I, don't, I, I, I think. <laughs> Why are you average, asking me? You're just reading off your cell phone. I have to put the actual number. <laughs> in. Okay, eight hundred bucks for food. This for one person. Yeah. Okay. Seems so now, reasonable, right? Is that reasonable? That's Groceries. Oh, yeah, that, that's right enough. Now. Groceries are probably. I think for one person, probably five hundred bucks. Got to get a little food and bevy out there at the restaurant. So got to live your life. Okay, we're gonna put eight hundred in. Uh, for a, you bought a house for five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, so what's my you, mortgage? And you put twenty percent down. Oh wow! Look at me go. Yeah. So your mortgage payment's $2,610. Jump change. Your property tax is In Halifax? $400. <laughs> Probably more than that. Your insurance is uh, $150. Yeah. Uh, utilities, your power is going to be $150 a month, plus water is going to be $50 a month. Plus a heat allowance. That's how you're $250. $250 a month. $350, $350 in utilities. <laughs> Cable internet, two hundred. Say uh, yeah, we'll say it with your phone bundled, so two hundred dollars. So it's cable man, internet and phone. What basic gas cable <laughs> you got, man? Says this guy with the Samsung A one. You gotta have the guy. I got my Amazon Prime Plus. My no, 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 my no, no. Shout out! One of our listeners can hook you up with a Fire Stick. You know who you are. Yo, hook uh, me up with a jailbroken Fire Stick. Um, right, I'm, I'm I'm adding a little uh, something extra. What are you putting on there? So we got that. Well, two hundred bucks. Do you, want, do you own a car yet? Oh yeah, so five hundred bucks for car payment. Yeah. And then insurance, another 150 bucks. Not for me. I'm a little more than that. <laughs> <laughs> now, a little north of that. Do you put do you put gas in the car? I like to drive around a bit. You're gas guzzler <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm the worst. Shit. What's my gas budget? I probably the average person's probably 200 bucks a month. Is that it? Jeepers. Yeah, we're we're an anomaly because yeah. we drive all day. Um, what else is in there that 
So that that's got your there's home. Gotta be some, there's got to be, be some entertainment social of at least four hundred bucks a month. Okay, put it in there. So then you you add that up. <laughs> you got the calculator there, bro. So okay, add it. Oh, you want me? To, okay, can we do this by hand? Okay, thirty-four ten, thirty-eight ten, thirty-nine sixty. Uh, that's four thousand three hundred. Yeah, and ten. Four thousand three hundred and ten. Yeah, forty-five ten, five thousand ten, five thousand one hundred and sixty. Five thousand three hundred and sixty, five thousand seven hundred and sixty dollars a month. Five thousand seven hundred. I'm gonna tell you we're we're in bad shape here, Chandler. We are in bad shape. <laughs> we are in bad shape. And oh, this is this assumes no other bad debt, right? Like no credit card payments, no student loans, no anything. Yeah. So you currently, just so you know, what do you think you make a month based on that number? <laughs> I am down. Uh, shit. Actually, whatever. Seven. Wow. I think we're down thirty bucks a month. Yeah, we make. <laughs> We make $5,680 a month after tax. Hmm. So this also assumes you have no other monthly payments. Like so you're down 70 bucks a month. It's a good thing I can no longer Airbnb my basement. Thanks for the help, uh, <laughs> City of Halifax. So there you have it, Mitch. If we break through our numbers, you make $100,000 a year, which would seem like an amazing salary. And it really, it is. It used to be. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a great salary. But the world where we, and a $500,000 house would not seem out of this world. No. <sighs> really? Now, the big difference was if you took that mortgage and you flipped it down to 3%, uh, let's take a look here, what that would change. It'd probably be about, my guess, around 1800 bucks. At 3%, your payment would have been 1896 1896 So call it an extra 700 bucks. Yeah. And so, so you would have been positive $500 a month. And so... More than that, even up to 630 or something. Yeah. And at eighteen, at, at nineteen hundred bucks a month, you would be in r- roughly around that threshold. The crazier of, part is of thirty percent, thirty three percent of your household after tax income going towards housing. Well, not quite if you account for all the other things, but you'd be right about forty percent of pre tax income on housing when you account for your utilities, your insurance. So that would have been attainable at a three percent interest rate, or it would have been what's advised. Yeah. It, so, anyways, that's to answer your question, Mitch. If you make hundred grand a year, you basically should only be affording a house of probably af- actually affording 350K. Uh, which, well, it depends on the down payment amount. That also was an anomaly there where the tw- someone put 20% down on that property. Do that sucker with 5% down and see what that payment is. That's what I'm saying. So realistically, you should only be in a house for 350,000 bucks. That's, that's Yeah, man, it is tough with there. And I, I made this comment before about how hard it is for some, like a household on only one income. But you know what the big thing that, you know, Grinds my gears about this. Let me hear it. That first line item. You go from $100,000 to sixty-eight grand. The $2,700 a month that you're paying taxes? Like, that's psycho, man. That is psycho. And, and then, then you get the ple- pleasure of paying 1.5% de-transfer tax, and then you get to pay 400 bucks a month in property tax, which is probably on the low end. And then you can save 15% on all the other expenses, too. Yeah. Anyways, Jeepers. moving onwards, upwards and onwards. Uh, that's our breakdown budget, our scratch scratch budget um it is super hard out there and you basically need two people to be able to actually make it work i have no idea how even a single person like in a condo would make it happen you couldn't because a condo fee would suck up any savings you get um next question mike harris thoughts on frederick to building tiny home communities to provide affordable housing i'll let you go first um I mean, I think headed towards smaller square footage is, is the way things are going to go out of necessity. I think we're going to almost divide the market into two spaces where you're going to get high-end luxury homes, people that are going to continue to pay for these big McMansions, and, and there's going to be demand for that. And then there's going to be this push towards 
uh, I don't I don't want to call them necessarily tiny, but much smaller footprint slab on grade two story like really basic townhouse construction. I think it's going to have to happen. Minuscule. Yeah, I, I think it's not going to be. People are going to be shocked though, still at the cost of those units. I think because land's getting expensive, the infrastructure costs are expensive. They are not easing up on permitting costs. In fact, they're gouging on permitting costs. So the municipalities are at every turn making it more expensive to build housing, and it's going to be no exception with this stuff. So. I think this is sick, and I think it makes a lot of sense. We had the boxable guy on, and I honestly do think that this could be the solution to a lot of our problems. Um, and the difference would be people owning their homes versus just renting. If you look at somewhere like Japan, I was watching some stuff about, like, I think it was Hong Kong, 15 minutes. Make sure you get your area correct, because you had this issue before. I had this issue before. Countries, I might not have been. And it's, people in cages, it's Japan, it's and it was Japan. a little dicey. <laughs> 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 um, I'm 90% sure it's Hong Kong, but it's it's one of the major cities in Japan. Look, I don't get the specific detail because it doesn't okay. truly matter. Okay, okay. okay. But the concept is... Might matter to the people in Hong Kong. <laughs> okay. The the concept is, the major league concept is, they, had, they have crazy, crazy, crazy density. Way more density than... Um, than we do and way more people than we do. And they've been known for having some of the most expensive... Uh, one second. Let me. Oh, now you've got me all tripped out. We also. I'm just going to take Tokyo, not Hong Kong. What am I saying? I'm an idiot. Oh. Oh. We have to edit that now. Okay. Anyway. No, I don't think we should edit. I think we should <laughs> just leave it in just there. Roast me completely. Okay. Fine. That's fine. Anyways, 15 minutes outside of the core of Tokyo, you could buy a single-family detached home for how much? This is considered to be one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. Uh, how far outside the core? Uh, 15 minutes by train. Jeepers. I don't know. 400,000 US? $350,000 US. Cheapers. That is cheap. And they're proper homes. They, they are stacked up, uh, multi, like two-story homes, the whole shebang. But what they've done and the way they've made it more affordable and what we need to be doing, and this is the same with Montreal, is their parcel sizes have gone way down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Like this, this mentality, like we're all like, oh, we holy shit. New like, lot here, they're like 6,000 square feet. It's got to be at least 6,000 square feet. It's like, well, that's weird, man. I only want 1,000 square foot of house per floor. Like, that's a big house. You but put a three stores, that's a 3,000 square foot home. Why do I need a 6,000 square foot lot? I don't even want to mow my yard. That's the other thing. They don't let you build on most of our lots here. They, they got to have a certain percentage that's uncovered and this and that, which I get some of the environmental concerns, but the suburban sprawl that we have, I think would go the opposite way and say it's causing more environmental issues with the way people travel and commute mm-hmm. uh, and people are not maintaining these areas. Like, it, it's not a saving on the, in the green space. But that's what they've done there is they've, they've shave it down. So every time a house gets old, they basically tear it down and they'll build two or three more houses on the same lot. And by doing that, they're able to keep the prices affordable. Because again, these $2 million homes that we're talking about are not comparable. Like there are, they're crazy homes. Like these are like four or 5,000 square foot homes. Like you said, on six, 7,000 square foot yeah. lots, full basements, multi-car garages, all these crazy things. And it's like, the shit's expensive because we expect to live in some crazy type life, like in these insane homes with these big yep. lots and these big backyards with pools and all that, if you really boiled it down and actually were comfortable living in a tiny home, which honestly a good majority of the population is who rents an apartment, then you'd actually have the opportunity to buy. And the other thing, I mean, Japan, the central bank there offers mortgages at 1%. So like the average mortgage payment on a brand new home there is 850 bucks. Yeah, that's but crazy. You, but you're, all your values in the land, the other thing is there's a misconception that all the values in the land, at the end of the day in real estate, the values in the land, the structure on top isn't actually what carries the value. Uh, those can be asset-producing, mm-hmm. income-producing assets that are used to validate the value of that land down below. 
but that's what it is. And so they've really jumped into that model. Long story short, I think the tiny homes are great. I do think we're going to have a, a switch to it. And I think that's the only thing that's going to keep our real estate propped up. But I do think our real estate will stay propped up because it holds so much value for everybody in our country that if they were to ever let it fall off cliff, the detriment to our to our system would be way too dramatic to ever save. So they have to keep it propped up. And so that'll continue to go forward. But going to shifting to a smaller, more dense uh, construction style will be the way to actually give people an opportunity to buy into it. They also like, sometimes I think they overcomplicate it. So it's like, okay, like you can do these this many if you make them each condos and blah, blah, blah. And then what if you do cluster housing here and this, but they each still need a separate water line. Like, I feel like we make it way too complicated. If To your point, we're just like, hey, how come we just can't make them smaller lots and they share one sewer line? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, let's just make it simpler. Like, why do they have to, you know, go through a condo there registration? There should be some spots that are 100% coverage that are not just yeah. downtown cores. Like, there should be areas that you can be able to do that. The difficulty is where we have a big population that doesn't live like that. The areas that do end up receiving it become kind of slummy. Right, and that's that's what will happen. Is you get oh, I see, yeah, yeah, because if it's they, not universally adopted as a, as a legitimate thing. It becomes a it, there's certain there's yeah, pockets yeah, yeah, yeah. that are it's like true. massive lots, and yeah. you know what I mean. So, well, think about man, like one of the most popular areas here in Halifax is the Hydrostone. Yep. Right, um, and it's often gets rated one of the best neighborhoods in the country, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. There is no way they would let you build the Hydrostone now, which is ironic because it's not very tall, mm-hmm. right? But How the whole a shitload of people, the laneway in the back. Right where you know the the driveways are effectively behind those, they would never let you get away with something today. They'd be like, "Oh my gosh, this is too crazy. This is some far fetched novelty idea. I can't see it. I can't see it." And they were kind of built pretty small, right? Like if if you didn't if they didn't have basements, they're basically I don't know four hundred fifty square feet a level, right? You would get so much pushback for trying to do something unique like that now. But why did they build those? Because they were in a damn hurry. They desperately needed housing, and they slapped those suckers up as quick as possible, as cheap as possible, and they went some of the rules and it's right? the greatest thing yeah exactly so the, they actually have a similar rule in there as to what they have in, in tokyo which is the one big kind of sticking point is you need to have six feet of road frontage six feet one car length that's the whole yeah, idea yeah. you can have one car for your home yeah so every house has to have six feet of frontage other than that send it they do have Man. a minimum lot size but it's so 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 small but that's also they end up like not having like parcels that just never get used because a little corner on the end here can hold a house. So someone will buy it and build a house there. What I think is going to be a tipping point is like, so if we're saying secondary suites are fine and that mm-hmm. people can live in them, mm-hmm. why can't they be the only house on the on the lot? Like cut them off and turn them into little mini lots. Well, but but like why are we stuck to this idea of lot size if we're going to say, no, that's okay to have a separate structure there and someone live in it, that is normal. In fact, that's good. Well, if that's the case, then why do we need the lots to be so damn big? It, well, it's because of everything else that goes on with our housing here is the people who own in a certain neighborhood don't want that yep. stuff to start taking place. It's it's the same concept. 100%. It's all to pr- protect your own personal value. Yeah. But what people don't realize is when they densify these things, it actually pushes their value up even more. Yeah. But, but there's certain people who are at certain phases of their life that they don't care as much about resale value as they do about living in the neighborhood quiet. the exact same as it's been for the last 20 years they've been there. This is true. Yeah. We're calling some people out that definitely don't listen to the podcast. They do not listen to the podcast. Anyways, we're changing gears now to the next question. Yep. That's enough of us rambling about it. I'm moving to Japan. Peace. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to find it with your geography skills. <laughs> I'm going to end up in the wrong city, but I can keep flying around. Uh, <laughs> what happened? Uh-oh. Hong Kong luxury cage homes. <laughs> oh, jeepers. Put the tiny homes of Hong Kong. I'm gonna, you're going to get me in trouble. They make luxury... <laughs> 
stop. Stop. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, next question. Uh, Vic D. Hillen. Um, I think it's he's already a real estate agent. Is this a good time to go full time as a realtor? Ooh. The hesitation would suggest no. I'm always so torn with this because I genuinely believe if you have the skills, if you have the work ethic, you can drop into any market and do well. I don't know this guy. I don't know if he's got what it takes. Yes, if it's a good time. He didn't ask if for a personal assessment. But it could be a great time for someone. May not be a great time for him. You're right? saying Vic doesn't have a good No, I'm saying like, I, I actually, so that, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, it is not, it is far from a good time. But that's not to say that you couldn't jump into the market and crush it. But it is far from a good time. It's maybe the worst time. <laughs> other it's than a like, bad time. Other than if you like only had your license for the first six months of COVID where like things were bad before it got really, really good. Um, but like, no, this is a bad time. This would be right up there with like other terrible years. Like I got my license in 2009 and it was bad. Yeah, yeah it's a bad yeah. time. I guess, so but two, that's two, not to say he couldn't get into the industry and crush it. Two things. It's the best time if you're prepared to grind your ass off. And then if you can get through this time, everything's going to be gravy. And it'll teach you to what it actually means to grind and grow a business. On the flip side, I think it's a terrible time to get in because I like going with the wave. Uh, and right now, there are way more licensed people than there's ever been. And there is way less volume than there's ever been. Not ever been, but there's way less volume than there have been in previous years. And so when you combine ton of agents and not much volume that gets averaged out. So the average amount of deals each person does goes down. And in a time when rates are up and everyone's trying to save money, people are going to be aggressively looking for alternative options to cut commissions or go after the cheaper brokerage or the cheaper agent. So for me, it's a very difficult time to get in. I would like to get in when the market's starting to rise and it, it's an easy gradual growth with you. Yeah. Um, but if you want to make a full-time career out of this for the rest of your life, like Shanley like said, I don't think any time's a bad time, but you're going to have to grind your butt off right now and prepare to spend a few years eating mac and cheese. I think there's an implication with his question about full-time, i.e. he's got another source of income. Yep. Is this a time to throw that other source of income away no. and go into it? And no. I, I would say probably <laughs> not. Double down on that main source of income. No, you need, you need, we just did some math. You need three incomes. Um, so. Um, next question follows in suit. Uh, ben Etzel. Best career in the real estate industry. What is the best career in the real estate industry? I was going to just say, again, with this guy's question, like, I don't know why more people don't try to be mortgage brokers, but whatever. It's just not as sexy. Then what they need is if Netflix makes a show about the glamorous life of being a mortgage broker, all of a sudden you'll see that. Like, we got to get financing, the boys together. Financing sunset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm with my underwriter last night. She got crazy. Um... Yeah, I mean... So you're saying best career in real estate is mortgage broker? Um, I'm not saying that per se, but I... Well, we need like, an answer. What's, um, what's the best one? Best career in real estate. Number <laughs> one, best one. You got sewer scope guys. Yeah. You got septic inspectors. You got home inspectors. You got builders. Developers. You got survey guys. Maybe the appraisers. <laughs> the appraisers are sitting pretty good right now. You you think though the amount of stress that they're under, like think they show up to our properties. Oh, that's true. He's, he's like, like come, come on, man, <laughs> get that number up. Aren't we pros? Like, come on, come, come on. I need I need this. This is my whole man, life, bro. Yes. I need this refi. Um, I would say maybe like um, 
housing advocate. The best career in real estate housing is not advocate. in real estate. Yeah. Government housing advocate? Yeah. Government funded housing advocate. <laughs> Working at a nonprofit. That's probably the best gig right now. <laughs> Not right now. No, I mean, like, you actually had... Everybody needs you. Yeah, but everyone loves you. Okay, so final answer. Um, I guess... (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't know. All right, I'm going to answer I'm going to answer it. Mortgage broker. Okay. But it depends. (laughs) 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 That came in so hot, so confident, and then just walked it back. Oh my gosh, you didn't even dip your toe in before you're whoop. <laughs> Put it right back out. Gosh. Okay, no, but that answer can't be that can answer that answers depends on the person. Absolutely for sure, maybe. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna give it to there's a double answer to this. Best career in real estate is is being not including owning. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep ownership out of this. If you're just taking a career, best career in real estate is investing in real estate. But if you're gonna do a job. If you like to be social, like out on the streets, um, selling your body, then real estate agent. Selling your what? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But if you want to be out on the streets, chat with a bunch of people, um, going through a ton of homes, like it's a very fun. Like for me, I feel like as an ADD person, it was great because it was always every 15 minutes something new was taking place, and so it like keeps yeah. your ADD in check, and it's fun because you're crushing deals and all this is going on. So it can be an amazing. Uh, game once you get established it doesn't start like that when you start you're usually twiddling your thumbs in your house being like what the hell did I just do as I've gone through it and I think a lot of people would agree that our agents mortgage broker looks a lot more appealing because you start to have a more structured lifestyle like the real estate agent can be very unstructured right it's all over the place but the mortgage broker becomes appealing because there's a bit of structure there where it's like banks only operate let's say nine to five so you kind of have your weekends back you kind of have your evenings back you're also more often than not in a fixed location. So you can like actually predict your days. You can like pack a lunch. You can do normal shit or you can even eat lunch, like things like that. Like as a realtor, all the memes online, like the jokes, but we literally just eat in random crap as we fly around the city and are trying to keep everybody appeased. So I think the mortgage broker world is something that can also be, um, the volume can be brought up a fair bit on one person and they can still handle it. And then with a small team, you can really scale how much you how much volume you can do as a mortgage broker more easily than as an agent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. Best career, I think it, it really depends on where you're at. Best career for me at the end of the day is investing. But for, if I was to do it all over again, I would have started as a mortgage broker. That being, okay. I say that, but I don't know if I would have made the, the actual amount of cash that I made as quickly as yeah, I did. It's true off there for sure. So any other questions? Yeah, another question. Nate Mack. Spring market in Halifax, time to buy or is it going to go crazy? I don't know if it means crazy down or crazy up because if it's going to go crazy up, probably should buy. Yeah, I don't, I don't maybe quite understand the question either. Uh, spring market. I mean, in the spring, historically, especially here, more listings come on in the spring. Uh, there's also more buyers competing in the spring. Um, so I've actually gotten some of my best deals in the, you know, in the, in the winter months because there's less competition. You can maybe be a bit more aggressive with sellers and a lot of sellers who list say in the dead of winter is because they're highly motivated. They have a reason for selling as opposed to a want to sell. Oil um, bills. I think that uh, this, this is tricky because the, the implication of the question is um, like, is there going to be an opportunity to get in before it goes crazy? And I think to your point, well, if it's going to go crazy, 
maybe it's a good time to start looking even right now and um, try to catch something on, on the way up. I don't think there's going to be some big collapse. Like people were still thinking like, I'm going to wait till it bottoms out. It's like here in our market, right? Like I don't think there's much give back. If there is, it's going to be small um, and it's going to like prelude to another comfortable run. And you have to remember there were many periods of time where people bought and say, 07, 08, 09, even 2013, where for 24 months, they were pretty flat. But you know what's happened since then? They've doubled their friggin' money. So, you know, trying to time the bottom is one of the worst things you can do. I think if you can find what you feel is a good deal in that moment and is not an overpay and, and you're comfortable with the payment and, and all these things, um, I think now or the spring either could be a great time. Okay, that was a long-winded answer. The answer is it's always a good time to buy. Oh, my gosh. But... I, for me, I'm going to go back to the same thing I said last time. It's really dependent on your situation. If you have the money ready to go and it's doing nothing for you and you see an opportunity that you feel is a deal and you're being educated on that it is a deal, I don't think it's a bad idea to buy. Uh, and exactly to what Chandler said, you can never time the bottom exactly and you can never time the top exactly. So as long as you're like, okay, well, I'm getting a bit of a discount from last year. So I'm getting the bit of discount that I'd be comfortable taking on. And I would have paid this price last year and been happy with it then go for it. It mm-hmm. may continue downwards on a downward trend for a year or two, and you might shave off another 5%, 10%. But if you're not planning to sell in a year or two, it doesn't really matter, yeah. and it's going to go up. The other thing that could very well happen where there is absolutely no inventory um, is the market could stay flat and then just start going right back up, right? So if you said, oh, I, I was going to wait it out because I thought there was going to be another 5% down, and then you have to pay 5 or 10% even more, you're going to be in, in bad shape, right? So if it's a long-term hold... I think now is, is a good time to buy. Um, and again, it depends on what type of property you're looking at. But it's there's no set answer for that ever. Yeah, like I think no you got have to get back to the fundamentals, right? Which is buying a good location, buy a product that's always in demand, like three bedrooms, one and a half baths, good school district, those things. Revert back to the things that are tried and tested because that's going to protect your investment, especially if you think you might be able, might be looking at moving again in, in three years. So something that's also rentable, like those are things that you should really keep in mind in this market. I think that's just good, good sense. hundred percent. I think in the investment property world, there's going to be a lot of people who start that are open to tra- trading hands with it because they're like, man, I have a renewal coming up. I'm not interested in, or like rent caps can keep me down. Like, and they've just got a bunch more expenses. I'm seeing it a lot where a lot of my clients who we've sold into in the last few years have decided they don't really want to do investment properties. They made their money and they want to move on or they yeah. just, it's not worth the work to them. Well, some um, of them are just looking and be like, wait, these numbers don't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Like, and they, what they, am they I do, supposed to do? Like, like we yeah, just you went over. can't buy them at these numbers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, last question here. Um, is there a place to check what units sold for specifically in Kelowna? There likely is. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and say that we don't know off the top of our heads. But no. if you are an agent or somebody in Kelowna that knows the answer, if you can DM us and we can connect you guys, that would be great. Yeah. And that's what we are trying to create our forum for our forum is actually created. I'm just very slowly populating it. Um, so you can ask a question like that and hopefully somebody in Kelowna can immediately answer you uh, and you have an inability to meet them through that space. So that'll be good for that. Um, that's all the questions we got. Yeah. So as always, I mean, if you guys have other questions, fire them at us, social media right here down below, really want you guys to keep engaging with the, uh, the content as much as possible. It really, fires us up and keeps us going and gives us ideas and things to talk about. So anything else, Neil, before we take off for today? Yeah, no, nothing else for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much. See you next time. 
Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out. Broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.